as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Impala Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And I am Andy Wilson, also a Big Shiny Robot. And we got actually two, I guess you can call them movies for you this week. Um, <laughs> we've, we've got Split, the new thriller with a twist from M. Night Shyamalan. And then, because no one demanded it, the third movie in the Triple X series, The Re- Return of Xander Cage. Now, it's not The Return, it's just Return. So oh. I, I, we need to make sure we're, we're clear on that. Uh, and then after that, stick to the end, because I've been at Sundance all weekend, seeing lots and lots of movies, uh, which actually most have been pretty good. And just going to quickly talk about uh, three of my favorites that actually all have uh, distribution rights. So you'll be able to see them either in theaters or on Netflix soon. But, like we said before, we have to eat our vegetables before we get to the good stuff. So, Andy, uh, I actually had theater tickets, so I didn't get to see Split yet. And I was trying to see it the other day, and then Sundance happened. So, tell us about your your new favorite movie of the year. Split. This is... (laughs) M. Night Shyamalan, uh, director of past movies that I actually quite enjoyed, The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable. I thought those were I thought those were good. I thought most of Signs was good, and then after that, it's kind of iffy. This is M. Night Shyamalan definitely trying to go back to that well, and this movie is so aggressively bad that it has ruined those previous movies for me. Specifically, it ruined a specific one in a very specific way, which goes into spoiler territory, and I won't tell you how, but it is bad. It was The Village, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I I was one of the few that kind of liked The Village, just calm down. Sigourney Weaver, she was great in that movie. Anyway, this movie is aggressively terrible. Um, James McAvoy, who generally I think does a very good job here, is definitely playing the the master thespian role to the T. Uh, he's not just acting; he's acting, and he pl- he plays a a troubled individual with dissociative identity disorder or DID, which is controversial. Because many mental health practitioners, uh, there's an argument about whether it actually exists or not. And this takes it to the next level by claiming basically that dissociative identity disorder is the next form of human evolution and that it gives our man superpowers in a certain sense. For in, For example... One of his personalities is supposedly insulin dependent, which is supposedly based on a real case. Eh, I don't know if I believe that. And that's why this is controversial. Well, having talked to some doctors and psychologists, that's actually complete BS. So, yeah, yeah. Science says if we listen to the happening. Uh, So this is the first major problem that I have with this film is it's trying to take a a real mental health issue and turn it into superpowers. I That's just bad in so many ways. And I can't quite get into how terrible it is without getting into spoiler territory. But it's just terrible. The The basic premise is 
uh, McAvoy's character, uh, a couple of his personalities have sort of taken over. And what they are doing is they are preparing the way for the emergence of a 25th personality who they call the Beast. And uh, the Beast is evil and the Beast will kill people. And so they've gone out and kidnapped three girls and stuck them in a basement somewhere. And uh, they're, they are there to be sacrificed to the Beast. Herein is the second major problem that I have with this movie is that you have three female characters who essentially are chattel. They are they are just there to be uh, victimized by this character and be there to be fodder for the beast at the end of the day, which is absolutely terrible. And of course, there one of the three is supposed to be our plucky young heroine, Oh, but guess what? It tries to turn this on its head and say, oh, no, um, she's actually troubled because she herself has been victimized sexually by a creepy uncle. And that supposedly gives her some sort of superpowers, which, again, yes. Yeah. So that makes her special. That makes her... Uh, special in the eyes of the beast. And yeah, I, again, I can't go into how bad it is without going into major spoiler territory. But if, if you ever talk to me personally online, I'm very happy to tell you about all the ways that this is terrible, but essentially this sets it up that if, if you are a victim of abuse, that you are somehow better and that it can give you superpowers. No, 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 no. I understand kind of where M. Night Shyamalan was trying to go with this and trying to set this up in as, as kind of a take on like Halloween where Jamie Lee Curtis is the only one who can fight Mike Myers. This is kind of the opposite of that and trying to turn victimhood into something positive It does anything but and is, in fact, in many ways, just the opposite. On top of that, the ending completely rips off Aliens and a bunch of other better movies. uh, And just no, just no, 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 no. (laughs) All of the female characters in this, including Betty Buckley, who who plays James McAvoy's psychiatrist for a movie with five main characters and four of them are women. This only barely, just barely passes the Bechdel test and the sexy lamp test and every other feminist test that you could do, which shows just how those are a bare floor minimum for how a movie can pass those and be in many ways completely anti-feminist. I would say that this these are very thin female characters, but the problem is, All of these characters are thin. So the one good thing, M. Night Shyamalan isn't making his female characters thin. It's just all of his characters are bad. So uh, at least I guess it's not overtly sexist in that way. But when it sets it up to be where you're having some sort of a female heroine and she's just completely not, so disappointing on so many levels. Anyway... This movie glorifies violence towards women 
and sexual violence towards women. It is icky and gross and creepy in all of the wrong ways that a horror movie should not be. And it is not scary in all of the ways that a good horror thriller movie should be. It is inappropriately funny. It makes us laugh at someone with mental health issues. That is not okay in any way that you're doing it. Oh, he has one personality that's funny and we can all laugh at that. He has one personality who is a woman and we're supposed to laugh at his affectations at at him being this very prim and proper woman. No, you are laughing at someone with a mental health disorder. That is not okay under any circumstances. I don't care. Just no. As bad as I'm making this sound, I was actually, I went into this movie hoping for something good. And if I would chart my feelings about the movie, first half hour of the movie, I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. I see where this is going. I kind of like this. It was creeping up into like six or seven territory. That's this Yeah, that's going. how I was this with Triple X too. The first, we'll get, we'll talk about it. But yeah, the first bit, yeah. you're like, oh, I get what they're doing here. Okay. I okay, I can see where they're going. This is this is interesting. And then it started going downhill. And it started going downhill. And then the like the final ending of the movie and I'm like, "Well, this is just dumb. This is a piece of crap." Eh, but it's like a 2 or a 3. Then the twist came. In the final minute, the final line, there is a twist that some people will tell you is amazing. Some people will say, oh, look at how interesting and how cool that was. No, 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 no. The twist was terrible. It was awful. If that was what you were trying to do with the movie the entire time, there are 800 other ways you could have done it and you could have done it better. And so this movie from in my mind went from being, oh, I can see where he was trying to go. It was poorly executed and has some problematic things to the twist ended up being a giant middle finger from M. Night Shyamalan and basically a manipulative attempt to get you to like his movie despite its flaws. And for that, I lost all respect for it. Zero. Zero, zero, zero. If I could give it a negative score, I would give it a negative score because it knocked down other Shyamalan movies in my mind a couple of places as well. And now I feel like I have to go back and revisit those because maybe I was duped. Maybe I was (laughs) young and dumb and didn't know what a good movie was. And have been, you know, have been too kind to those. So for that M. Night Shyamalan, zero. I award you no points and everyone here is dumber for having listened to you. (laughs) May God have mercy on your soul. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, yes. Yeah. See, Uh, I I knew uh, you were going to come in low on that, but I, I I was thinking maybe like around a one or a two, but that's... No. So and th- again, this is this is why I'm I'm really excited to see this movie. Just because not that I want to go see a bad movie, but I've had other friends, you know, other other fellow critics who've had completely opposite viewpoints, and some fell in the middle. So now it's like, well, crap! Now I need to go see what this is. <laughs> so yeah, either and, one, I can love it or I can hate it. So and and critics who I really respect and like Brooks Bird, who has been here on the podcast, like the movie. 
I respect him for that, and I respect his opinion. I just, I don't know how you can think that. <laughs> but, <laughs> Brooks, I love you. And, um, you know, you can you can have an opinion on this. I just I just vehemently disagree with you. So, all right. Well, there you, well, there you go. So, from Andy, the movie not to see this week. Uh, going into a movie that I, I don't think we're going to be able to recommend either, uh, but isn't quite that horrible. Uh, we've got Triple X Return of Xander Cage. Now, I knew there were two other Triple X movies, but I swore to God they made a third one with Vin Diesel, but I guess I must have been incorrect or something, because apparently this yeah, is the first this one is he's it. done. Yeah, the first one he's done since, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, since the very first one. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Triple X Return of Xander Cage. The story is that he's used to be this ringleader of this group called Triple X that was run by Samuel Jackson. And it's kind of like if you took um, like extreme snowboarding and extreme sports and then turned yourself into like a crime-fighting superhero with a heart, you know, badasses with hearts of gold. That's kind of what you get here. Uh, I'm pretty sure that there was no script for this movie. There were just post-its all over the sets that said, Be Dope. Because um, that's about all the direction this movie had. Explosions go here. Explosions <laughs> go here. Look dope. Um, kumquat. Uh, yeah. So, for for lack of, I mean, there really isn't a plot here. The story is that there's that someone made this thing called a Pandora's box. It can magically control satellites and cause them to re-enter the atmosphere and crash and kill people. Uh, the bad guys have it. The bad guy is played by Donnie Yen, who we just saw with uh, in Star Wars Rogue One. So we know he's good, uh, and he's got it, and he his cohort wants to destroy it. He wants to sell it. Triple X gets the game back together, and then they go after him. And then there's a little plot twist, a couple plot twists you see, you know, about two seconds in. You've got your uh, hot chick dressed up like a nerdy girl, and that means they put glasses on her. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, they defy gravity, because I don't think the director knows how it works. And apparently this plane was flying as high as that mountain in Ninja Turtles that never ended because this thing, this plane tries to crash for about 20 minutes. Uh, so here's here's the thing. Like I said before is about, I went and saw this with some friends. We had to, I wasn't at the screening. This is a movie to go see with friends that can sit with you and you can laugh your asses off hysterically about how stupid this movie is. Uh, the first 20, 30 minutes, I was kind of like, ah, oh, you know what? It's a big, dumb, fun movie. I can handle that. That's totally fine. And then it just gets dumber and dumber and dumber to the point where you feel stupid just trying to watch it. Uh, yeah, there's there's just there's no reason for this movie to exist. It's it can't even just rely on pure dumb fun. I mean, that's Fast and Furious movies. We can do that. We can enjoy those for being big dumb fun. Yeah. Uh, the Expendables. Yeah. Those movies that know what they are, and this one kind of does and tries to have some tongue in cheek humor, but it's just all done so horribly over the top and with. Uh, it's just it's it's not good. I, I can't recommend it. Uh, it's just there's it just gets boring. I mean, you only have so many explosions and then so many little one liners and you know you uh, if you've ever seen a movie, you can literally sit there and quote the whole thing on uh, before the character says the lines because you've heard it in every single other big budget action flick. Uh, they say January is the dumping ground for movies, and Triple uh, X definitely proves that. Yeah, I don't know if Vin Diesel has alimony that he has to pay or what or why they decided to bring this out here. 
but it's an obvious sign of the creative bankruptcy in Hollywood and their interest in bringing back anything that has ever been profitable before and revitalize and remake that franchise. Yeah, it's a big, dumb action movie with emphasis on the dumb. What I would compare this to is if you took 1970s James Bond, added extreme sports, and then doubled down on the misogyny and cut its IQ in half. That That's essentially this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, a friend of ours was saying that a drinking game you could play was every time there's a slow motion crotch shot of a woman in a bikini, yep. uh, take a drink, and you will be dead by the time this movie is over. Oh, yeah, probably I mean, halfway even, through. <laughs> even Michael Bay sat there watching this movie going, dude, you guys are using a bit too much slow-mo here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that being that being said, though, there are some moments that are so dumb. They're I mean, literally laugh-out-loud funny. I mean, I don't know if we might have been pissing off the people in the theater. I don't really care. It was a crappy movie. You shouldn't have paid to see it. Uh but there's just so they're just for example how dumb this is. So they're on motorcycles on this like rave pirate island thing, and they're being attacked by the Russians. Because even though no one in the whole world could find out where these people are except for Triple X, the Russians found them somehow. Yeah. Uh, so the Donnie Yen takes off, and he's got Pandora's box, and so Vengeance is after him, and they're on dirt bikes. Well. They go over a cliff, and he hits a button, and it magically grows water skis, and then it becomes like a jet ski. But it's still a motorcycle, so it's still using its wheels to run on water. And, okay, sure. But then the Diesel does it, and so he goes in, he dives in the water, and a wave hits him, and it comes up slow motion status. And it's like a really bad uh, cologne commercial. I laughed for like five – I missed five minutes of the movie. I was laughing so damn hard because it was yeah. so utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so My- it, my favorite part was when Vin Diesel engages in base jumping and then skiing down a mountain, which has no snow, just through the jungle. Oh, yeah, he's going and, through the snow, yeah. And then, and then skateboarding down a mountain uh, as fast as he can in order to steal cable so that the yeah. village can watch a soccer game. I, I love that. Sorry. Yeah, and- <laughs> Not a spoiler. It happens in the first ten the minutes first of the movie. Minutes, yeah, yeah. And so. the part where he, he's he's up on top and he jumps down, and as he jumps down, he flips off the guards. Oh yeah. And the guards are like, "We'll get you next time, Xander Cage." I'm like, "Oh, so they know who he is, so they could just go get him." <laughs> <laughs> this movie was so dumb, but I I I just I couldn't hate it because I'd already seen Split, and I'm like, you know, this movie is offensive in all the normal ways that I, a bad, dumb action movie is offensive. But it, it's it's nowhere near as bad as Split. So no, so it's yeah. yeah. Uh, it uh, and and I'm glad that uh, Donnie Yen and Tony Jaw. And some of the other people in this movie got a paycheck. That's that's all I care about. And I was really happy to yep. see Tony Collette doing her best Kellyanne Conway impersonation. <laughs> she was, wasn't she? Oh my god! That was gosh. the moment she came. I'm like, oh my god! It's Trump's advisor. Trump's advisors in this movie. <laughs> she um, was so, anyways, yeah, it's 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 a horrible movie. It's dumb as hell. But I will tell you this: if you go see it with some friends and maybe you've had some a few drinks and you just want to riff it and laugh your ass off. Yep. This is the movie for that. That being said, I would wait for Dollar Night or for Redbox because it's not worth paying, you know, ten bucks we had to to see it in uh, 3D because that was the only showing we had. So yeah, three out of ten. It's not horrible. 
but I can't actively hate this movie because it's just so dumb. It's like you can't help but have fun making fun of it. Yeah, I went and saw it in uh, a theater that had those D-box seats. Oh, you told me about that. How was that, by the way? uh, I got a nice butt massage um, (laughs) while while watching the movie. (laughs) And then other than that, yeah, a three out of ten. Exactly the same place. It's just dumb. But, uh, I mean, I guess... This is one of those movies that if you like the Triple X franchise, you're going to see this anyway. And if you don't like the Triple X franchise, then why would you ever go see this? So, uh, there Unless you must, have to like we do. <laughs> yeah, there, there must be some sort of a large overseas following for Xander Cage and Vin Diesel. Because you notice that a couple of the production companies on here were like Shanghai Film Incorporated. Yeah. And and so I think that this is not a movie that is necessarily made for us. It is made for the overseas market. And China is the number one movie market in the world right now. So, uh, oh, it's and, a perfect movie for China because you don't even have to translate it. You just put it over there and they'll they'll get the same enjoyment out of it because it makes no damn sense. Yeah, well, and it's good. And in a lot of ways, the Americans are the villains. And, uh, and Tony John and Donnie Yen are are folk heroes in in many ways in the, in the same way that Xander Cage is too you know that oh it's a twist there's they're they're bad guys with the heart of gold so oh yeah. you but you knew that the moment the movie opened up so exactly so again, there's, there's and, nothing there's no big there, there's nothing to spoil here because if you've seen an action movie you know where this one goes and and if they they should have just named the Pandora's box MacGuffin <laughs> it's it's the thing everyone wants to get their hands on. It doesn't matter. And then when they do, oh no, it's not the real one. It's oh, the fake and we, one. We got to get another one. Oh. And can it's... you guess who the real bad guy was in the long run? Oh, I wonder. Was it Kellyanne <laughs> Conway? It was. Wow. Spoiler. She, she was giving she was giving Triple X a bunch of alternative facts. So. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, Andy, did you say where you finished up on this one? I don't remember. Yeah, three. Yep. Three. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So again, it's it's a horrible movie. Don't go see it. But if you do go see it, make sure you're drunk and you got friends you can make fun of it with. Indeed. Um. So anyways, so that's that will kind of wrap up the current movies that are out in theaters. Uh, the next ones we're going to go over are the three of the best I've seen so far at Sundance. The weird thing with Sundance is you you know you go online you look at the you know the little catalog. See what's playing so you can kind of plan out your festival. But there's no way of knowing if they're good or not because, you know, for some movies, this is the first time they've ever been shown. Um, other ones, like one I'm going to talk about called Colossal, actually already has a distribution deal um, and a trailer, which kind of spoils things. So don't go watch the trailer because I'm not going to go that in-depth into the into the synopsis. So you're basically going off, you know, a, a very brief one-two paragraph. Here's the movies about kind of thing. And I'm not sure who uh, writes these, but... They don't get them right half the time. So anyways, I'll, yeah, I'll they're terrible. The the only thing when like when I go to South by Southwest, I look at directors and actors, and then I'll like I don't really care what the movie's supposedly about. I'll I'll trust that I will go and see like uh, going to see Sing Street. It's like yeah. I I knew who the director was. It's like it's about kids in ireland i don't care i i liked the the director's last two movies i'm gonna go see it yeah so so that's kind of what you do you look at this one so the, the one we just saw last night uh it's called the big sick uh and mainly because it was the name that stuck out for me was it was produced by judd apatow 
Uh, and I'm sure the name that would stick out for most people uh, would be the main character and writer, Kumal Nanjadani, who is part of, he does stuff with Silicon Valley. He and his wife have a very popular podcast. I believe it's called The Interior Room. Yeah, he's um, great. Kumail, he's, yeah. he is hilarious. I love that oh, guy. Oh, and, he, and he's great yeah. in this movie, and uh, he and his wife wrote it. And it, actually, it's based on the true story of how they met and kind of what happened with with their relationship. Oh, that's an adorable for, story, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it embellished a bit for the, for the movies, but uh, the big thing is, is that uh, <clears throat> Kumal, he's here from Pakistan. He moved here when he was a teenager, uh, and his parents are you know very, very adamant about his being a good Muslim and marrying a Pakistani girl, uh, and that's all they want, and he's afraid that if he, they ever find out that he's not really a Muslim anymore and he's dating this white girl, they would disown him because that's what they've done to other members of cousins and stuff in his family. Um, so he meets uh, his future wife, Emily Gordon, who in here is played by Zoe Kazan, who is absolutely wonderful. Um, and they just kind of have a you know really cute way they meet, kind of start to fall in love. He's a stand-up comic, uh, working at a, uh, you know, doing, doing stand-up shows, meets her there. Uh, oh, and a fun thing is there's some really great stand-up comic comedians in this, like Bo Burnham has a pretty decent part. So if you're a fan of his, like I am, uh, it was kind of fun to see him not doing his normal shtick he does when he's on stage. Uh, so they kind of fall in love, start going off together, and then the you know, relationship gets kind of rocky, and suddenly she ends up in the doctor's office hospital with a really bad flu. Kind of find out it's a bit more serious than that, and so they ask him, hey, can you sign this form saying that we can put her in a medical-induced coma because we need someone to do it right now or she will die, so we need you to say that she's your husband or you're her, her husband. And the funny thing is, and the whole story goes, that actually was what took place in real life. So anyway, so that happens. She's in a coma. Her parents come to um, see what's going on. Her parents are played by Ray Romano and Holly Hunter, who actually, Holly Hunter is the world's smallest human. I didn't know that. They, uh, yeah, they come out for tiny. a Q&A afterwards. She's, yeah. she's little. Yep. And just has kind of a fun little story about uh, you know people growing up, changing you know their perspective on things, uh, how people's opinions can change about other people over a period of time. Blah, blah, blah. So uh, it's a lot of fun. It's really funny. Uh, it's definitely high caliber. It didn't really feel too much like an indie film. It felt very much more produced. So even though it was smaller, um, you didn't get that like Sundance feel, which you kind of get with some of these movies. <clears throat> the only really big complaint I have is just like everything that Judd Apatow is part of, it's about 20 to 30 minutes too long. So this is a two-hour movie that should have been like an hour and 35 that being said, though, uh, it was a lot of fun. I got a good kick out of it. Uh, these people have really good chemistry. This person's telling their own story, so it was really interesting. Uh, and like I said, this one actually uh, started a bidding war and was picked up by Amazon. So you will be seeing it in theaters probably later this year. So uh, the are they any word on whether they're going to do a theatrical distribution and then put it? on Amazon Prime the way they did with Manchester by the Sea, or is is this going to go straight to streaming first? No, this actually is going to theaters, and that's one reason why Netflix didn't pick it up, is because Netflix doesn't do doesn't do anything with theatrical releases, and yeah. Kamal was very, very adamant that he wanted the film in theaters. He's like, hey, if you buy this movie, uh, it needs to go in theaters, so I want it to reach a broader audience than just... Because things, I mean, you know, things go on Amazon Prime or Netflix, and they can get a lot of word of mouth, but in some cases, they don't reach quite as wide an audience yeah. because, you know, you, you're not going to go and have a marketing campaign that the big uh, the big sick is on Amazon, whereas people are going to see trailers and they're going to see TV spots if it goes to theaters. 
So. Exactly. Like like what happened with the 13th, which was one of the best documentaries that I saw all year long uh, by Ava DuVernay, who who previously did Selma. And that was on Netflix. And it's like, why didn't this movie ever come out in theaters? Well, I mean, I understand it's a documentary, but this was one of the best movies of the year, but it never did anything. It was just on Netflix. And yeah, it, it was largely forgotten even though it was absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, most, a lot of people ended up seeing it, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the audience for daredevil or Jessica Jones versus the audience for captain America civil war. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> like the, the yeah. difference is, uh, you know, uh, very big as even as big as Netflix can be. Uh, I'm glad that it'll get in theaters. Cause I'm, I'm really interested in seeing this cause I, um, I, I generally like the work that everyone in there does. Well, Ray Romano worries me. Hopefully there's not too much Ray Romano. There, there's it, it, towards the, the, the last half of the movie is when the, uh, Emily's parents kind of become more involved because their daughter's sick in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he does a good job here. He's not doing his typical, you know, Ray Romano. Everyone loves Raymond, but it does, it does get some pretty, pretty fun one liners. I mean, there's, there's a moment where there's, there at the, the, the hospital and in the cafeteria eating eating stuff and you know and Kamal's trying to endear himself to you know his girlfriend's parents and so her dad Ray Romano is like hey so you know tell me about this talk about this he's like all right well what do you what do you think about 9-11 and he's like excuse me like what he's like well I always kind of wanted to know what you you people thought about it and so Kamal sits there for a second he's like well I'm very much against it I mean we lost like 19 of our best guys (laughs) (laughs) I that theater erupted in laughter. I had never heard at a Sundance screening. So, um, <laughs> if you like your your humor a bit dark, there's that in there. But it's it was a lot of fun. Again, twenty minutes too long, but easily again like in my top three of what I've seen so far. That's one of my favorite parts of Silicon Valley is the back and forth uh, between between him and the other main programmer uh, on on the show. They're just merciless to each other and so politically incorrect and it's just really really funny yeah so well it's just it's fun because you've got this character who is a stand-up comic and they you know they're known depending on their type of comedy how much they push the envelope so it's fun seeing him his coming through with that and his evolution of a comic throughout the whole thing because he starts out at the beginning trying to get on more shows and then by the very very end he has kind of a more put together set that's a lot better um but it's also great because you've got some other stand-up comics in there who are doing their own bits, and they're absolutely horrible. And you know they can do a better job, but they're just delivering like jokes that aren't even good enough to be dad jokes up there. And it's just oh, it's it's, it's painful sometimes. But again, they all sit around the table and bash each other. So <laughs> that's beautiful. Uh, so that that was a fun one. So if you're uh, if you're at Sundance, t- check that one out. If not, it'll be in theater soon. Uh, another good one uh, that was actually the first one I saw of the, of the week was Colossal. So this one already has a uh, already has a release uh, a release date in place. I'm not sure what the date is. Uh, it's been to a couple festivals. There is a trailer online. Don't watch it though because that really gives away a couple key plot points that I'm not going to reveal here because they're kind of fun to figure out. Um, but the main story you've got here is that you've got Anne Hathaway playing Gloria, and she lives in New York with her British boyfriend Tim. And Gloria's kind of an alcoholic. She's got some problems where she drinks too much. She doesn't come home. She forgets where things are. She sleeps all day, and her boyfriend's kind of sick of it. So he says, "You know what? We got to break up for a bit. You need to 
go out there and go your own way. So she moves back. I think it's to uh, I want to say Maine. I don't remember. It's where's but it's uh, the small town where she grew up. She moves back to her parents' house, who they don't live there anymore. And while she's there, she runs into Oscar, a childhood friend played by Jason Sudeikis, who now owns a bar. And they kind of catch up, and you can tell there's some kind of weird backstory between the two of them, uh, which you find out later kind of what it is. And so she goes to the bar after a night of very, very heavy drinking. She stumbles home, wakes up the next day, and finds out that in South Korea, a gigantic kaiju appeared. So a big monster, kind of like we saw in Pacific Rim or like Godzilla. And just started wrecking havoc in Seoul and then disappeared. And so she calls her friends and like, what do you mean? This happened eight hours ago. Where have you been? She's like, oh, I was, I, whatever. The next day it happens again. And she starts to notice that when she goes out drinking, the next day bad things happen. So what's the cause of it? Is she somehow involved? What's going on? And it kind of takes off from there. It's, it's a lot of fun if you like like anything with like the big monster movies. The kaijus are a big part of it. Obviously, they didn't have the budget quite to push through and do it like we saw with Pacific Rim. But the really, really cool thing about this movie is that the, the kaiju itself is a physical manifestation of Gloria's drinking problems. So on one hand, you've got this monster movie that has you know, the, mon- you know, the monsters trying to... <clears throat> in uh, South Korea doing horrible things. You also have a woman trying to find herself and overcome her addiction problems... Um, and then also to figure out, uh, you know, how not to be kind of, it's very much a very positive feminist movie towards the end. Uh, we'll just say that you don't like Jason Sudeikis very much by the time this is over. Uh, it takes, the movie takes a very, very dark turn about two thirds of the way through. Um, but no, it's, it's fun. There's a lot of levels to it. There's a lot of layers to kind of peel back. And even though it's a bit heavy handed with the way it does handle the physical manifestation of her drinking problems and alcoholism, uh, it was definitely one of the best things I've seen. So when it comes out, go see it. Uh, if anything, it's destined to spark some uh, conversations. That's got to be a hell of a drinking problem if you're manifesting kaiju to go and f up major Pacific Rim cities. Yeah, so, and uh, it's and we'll just say that she she does figure out there's some, a tie to her, um, and when she does, she tries to make amends with the kaiju have the kaiju make amends and there's there's some really funny interesting things um but yeah it's it's a movie that works on multiple levels and it's a lot of fun um oh i forgot if i was rating these uh i would put uh the big sick in an eight and this one also would be at about an 8.5 so that's awesome i can't wait to see that but don't go do not go watch the trailer trust me because it tells you exactly how the kaiju work and you don't want to know that you kind of want to figure that out yourself so yeah boo um and the one thing i will say Again, aside from being heavy-handed, was there is at the very, very end about a ten, five, ten-minute origin story of how this is happening and why it's taking place. You kind of need that to get the motivation of some of the characters and why they're behaving the way they are. But to be completely honest, I didn't quite need to have an explanation of why these things are appearing. Um, you could have just done, you know, like a wizard did it, and you would have been fine with that. So <clears throat> anyway, so yeah, Colossal, really good. Go see when it comes out, and then. Um, the best thing I've seen so far, and this was this was the very first showing they ever did, except for they did a at like a science symposium. Um, it's called Chasing Coral. So, oh, the Walking yes, Dead movie. The Walking Dead movie. Uh, Coral, Coral won't stay in the house. Coral, stay in the ocean. Coral. Yeah. No. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We were no. we were making jokes nonstop about it, and this is this is one I almost didn't see. I I, I saw the the title, didn't really think much about it, and then I was sitting at home, ready to go leave for the day. 
and got a text from Brooks like, hey, you're coming, I got a spot saved for you. So I went and I got in line for it. Um, this is directed by Jeff Orlovsky. He's the one who did the Chasing is it Ice, I believe. Chasing Ice, yes, which yeah. is, I, I love that movie. And I think it's a great documentary about uh, sea level rise and, uh, you know, l- the loss of like land-based glaciers and, and so on and so forth and, and the problems we face from climate change. So this is the follow-up about, I'm assuming, ocean acidification and uh, the loss of sea coral. Um, so it's part of that, but it, it's different actually. So this uh, this is the story of uh, told by a, uh, a guy who was an ad exec who kind of felt like his life was going nowhere. He was in love with the ocean, started reading about coral and the loss of it over the last fifty or so years, and kind of was like, "Hey, I need to show if I could show people what's happening in the ocean and how it's so traumatic and what's going on. If I could bring that to a large audience, like an ad exec would." You could change people's minds and get them on board with what you're trying to do to, you know, essentially save the oceans. You've got these great coral reefs like the Barrier Reef. We all know about that one down in um, Australia, but also in Hawaii and all over the globe. That um, it's not acidification that's doing it; it's actually uh, the rising temperatures, because coral can only live in a certain uh, certain yes. temperature range. If it gets too hot or it gets too cold. Um, you have what's called it, it, it bleaches it, and when it bleaches it, it dies. So the cool thing about this film, what I love so much, was that it does it doesn't jump in expecting you to know everything there is to know about uh, about coral and, and reefs and everything. In fact, there's one great scene where these two scientists are talking back and forth, and the ad exec's there, just kind of looking back and forth to both of them with like a bewildered look on his face, and he stops and looks at the camera and just like smiles. So you're like, what the hell is going on? No, it does. It, it takes you through step by step in the first 20, 30 minutes explaining what coral is, how it works, how it grows. So essentially, coral works in two different ways. It's, uh, it's a living, living creatures. You know, it's got, these, it's got polyps, it's got things to eat, you know, plankton and kind of stuff like that. But inside every single one are tons and tons of these little one-cell bacteria creatures that provide food to the coral via photosynthesis. So what happens is when the water temperature gets too hot, all of a sudden these things can no longer uh, work through photosynthesis to create energy. And now the coral's like, wait, there's something in me that shouldn't be here. They kind of explain it like it's like when you get a cold or you get sick, your body knows, hey, there's something that's in me that shouldn't be because it's not working the way it's supposed to. I need to do whatever I can to get it out. And so what happens with the coral is it starts leaching out all of these one-celled organisms. Well, the problem is when it does that, it cuts off its main food supply. So eventually it turns, you know, completely white and then eventually completely dies. And, you know, you can tell live coral versus dead coral because dead coral will have all of this, like, wispy algae all over it. So if you're ever in the ocean and you see that, you're looking at a, a reef or something that has, that has died or has passed on. Um, so the thing is, it's happening, you know, just last year alone, 22% of the Great Barrier Reef died. So they explained it. This would be like if every single tree in between Maine and Washington, D.C. was cut down and destroyed last year. That's how big of an impact global warming and climate change is having <coughs> on the sea and on these on these, you know, these tremendous reefs that we've had there for you know millions of years. And people can jump in and be like, oh, well. You know, global warming isn't real. Climate change isn't real. Rah, 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 rah. The Earth it's a hoax. Naturally. It was created by the Chinese. And yeah. yeah. No. Here's the thing. This is the first time we've ever had this documented of it happening. And it's only happened in the last, you know, ma- mainly since the 80s. It's been going on for longer than that, but it started in the 80s. 
Um, so the whole purpose here was they were trying to, they wanted to do uh, time-lapse video to show these reefs dying. And so the, the main thrust of the story is they were, they developed the special cameras that could be in a vacuum chamber underwater that were remote controlled that would uh, have a wiper that would go over the globe around it. So it would keep it clean to take these pictures. Well, the first time they tried to do it, cause they have a brief period of time when it's, you know, summertime in these areas and also trying to avoid cyclones and hurricanes. The first time they go down there, they come back a month and a half later and for some weird reason, all of the cameras, they went out of focus. They don't know what happened. They just somehow, they just, after over time, after a couple of days, you couldn't see anything anymore. So they go do the second round of them by doing a manual lens, go down there, put them down there for a month and a half. Well, this time a big hurricane hit. So the good news is no warm water came in and destroyed the coral. The bad news is there was no pictures because nothing died. Finally, they're like, screw it. We got to get this done. So for the one that's actually in the movie in the end and what they show you is they went to uh the north part of the barrier reef i think it's called lizard island and every single day for two months they uh would do dives down to the bottom they would use the markers they had the day before set up their cameras to make sure it was perfectly aligned with where it was the day before and take a picture and then go up and then go to the next spot and do it again so they spent four to five hours a day in the water over 60 dive sites manually making time-lapse videos to show the effects of climate change and the rising temperature on the corals and watch it die. When they actually show the video, I mean, there were people out openly crying and weeping in the audience. It's like watching a horror film because you're seeing this thing and there's just fish everywhere and it's, you know, it's vibrant and alive and multicolored. And in the, pre- you know, 20, 30 seconds, you just see it decay and die and rot in front of you. And then they do the thing where they'll show the way it is now, and then they'll have, like, a line go across to show where it was before. Um, it was terrifying. It was like watching a horror movie. And it was just one of those things where, at the end of the movie, they're like, so this is the thing, is we've already passed the point of no return on this. So now our question is, how bad is this going to be? And what can we do to keep it from being as least bad as possible? Because um, otherwise they're saying that within our lifetime, every single reef in the world could be dead. Uh, yeah. Because... Or, you know, we're using too many fossil fuels. We're not, you know, regulating things the way we're supposed to. And there was some interesting things. So they talk about everyone's like, oh, global warming, blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, it's not, it's cold, it's snowing. That's because, you idiot, <laughs> the ocean absorbs like 90% of the extra heat coming in from the atmosphere. So this is an interesting fact. I don't know if you, you actually, you of all people I, would, would know this. Yes, I probably do. <laughs> um, if it wasn't for the oceans absorbing the excess heat, what would be the average temperature on Earth right now? Um, probably, I'm I'm assuming something like ten to twelve degrees hotter. Okay, the, <clears throat> the average temperature on Earth, the surface temperature on Earth right now, if the ocean did not absorb as much heat as it does, would be 122 degrees. Oh, wonderful! So, like Iraq in the middle of summer. Yeah, every single day, everyone on Earth. So, as terrifying as it was, and it is actually enlightening and learning so much about this. The end that they did kind of pull like, hey, but the whole thing is we can do this. We can do things that'll help change us. And then they list, you know, a bunch of countries that are saying, hey, we commit to be 100 percent, you know, um, renewable resources, running on renewable resources by, you know, as soon as possible. Then they list cities and um, Salt Lake City is one of them. Salt and Lake Park City is one and of Park them. City. And, yep. And the state of Hawaii. Yep. So then at the end, they, they had a Q&A and the actors, the actors came out and the people involved, the you know, documentary. So. They just said what they're doing as far as how they're, how they're 
they're doing a lot of stuff where they're taking these pictures and they're using them with like the Google Cardboard to do like uh, like you know you know virtual 3D dives and they're taking these to schools to get kids invested and involved in this stuff so that as they grow up they can realize how important it is and how they can be activists in their own way to you know save the oceans and save this giant ecosystem that if it dies off wouldn't just have you know a certain you know type of fish or a certain type of animal go extinct it was it could wipe out a whole class of of creatures out of existence and if you look at the you know if you look at the whole um animal kingdom as a tree you know you you trunks your kingdom and you go from there a class would be like one of the huge branches so you're talking about possibly millions of creatures um and there's not too much i could say as far as if those creatures go away that are built on the base of the food chain, uh, we're at the top of the food chain. So you shake the foundation up a bit. They, they said it was like a house of cards. You pull the one card out. How many more can you pull out before the whole thing comes down? Uh, so it's absolutely excellent. Netflix already picked it up, so you'll be able to see it pretty soon. Uh, but, yeah, it was it was enlightening. It was like, terrifying. It was hopeful. Uh, one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. So So scarier than a Walking Dead movie. So scarier than a walking dead movie. Cause yeah. this is real. And yep. you know, they, it's, it's just numbing, mind numbing to see all this stuff happen and to see that, you know, for a reef to die, it takes a month. Yeah. It doesn't take years. It can take you, you raise the, the water temperature just enough. You can kill off that much of it in, in 30, 30 days. Yeah. So. It's, it's, it's really fragile and it's amazing because, our environment is both fragile and resilient at the same time. It's fragile and we can have these massive die-offs, but we can change things if we act quickly and act decisively. And we've got the technology in hand to do all of this. And it's, uh, you know, part of why I do what I do professionally, because we have, you know, a decade two at at the tops to really change how we do things or else we're we're on a path that is very very bad um Mm -hmm. i've I've heard someone explain climate change this way we're in a car and the car does not have a brake it has a gas pedal and that's it now we're going down a road and this road has been mostly straight but uh, in in the in the future, there might be hills. There might be hills that go downward. There might be twists and turns. We need to figure out how fast we need to be going. And the only thing we can control is pushing on the gas or letting go of the gas of how much pollution we want to put into the atmosphere. That's our only choice. There isn't a climate break. <laughs> There's no way to pull CO2 yeah. out of the ocean out of out of the atmosphere and um and and fix what we've already got in there so we either start easing our foot off of the gas or we push it down harder (laughs) or we keep it where it is any one of those things if any of those things could you know uh, bring us to disaster so we've got to make the choice very clearly but it becomes a you know an exercise in risk management and, you know, what is the acceptable amount of loss of coral? Uh, I, I would hope, I really hope that this is a, um, a wake-up call for people. And I, I really applaud Sundance 
for what they're doing this year. Uh, Robert Redford has been someone who for decades has been prioritizing uh, the environment and, uh, and, and taking care of it. You know, and so they created this whole track at Sundance this year of eco documentaries and, and this and Al Gore's and inconvenient sequel are like the two like headliners because they're, they're both, uh, you know, Hollywood, uh, <laughs> is so creatively bankrupt. It can only give us sequels. So we're getting, we're getting two awesome sequels <laughs> to two great eco documentaries that we had before. So. Um, but, but that is in a way good. And, and I'm really glad this is coming to Netflix and I hope that, that people will pick it up and check it out. I certainly will, because this is, you know, this is, this is frightening. And in the age of Donald Trump, um, we've got to find out ways to do this. And, you know, the fact that Salt Lake city, if Salt Lake city and park city, uh, can, you know, make a commitment to be 100% clean energy. So can anywhere. Georgetown, Texas, a little suburb just north of Austin, which is one of the very Republican suburbs of Austin. So don't fool yourself into thinking this is hippy dippy liberal land. Their local utility is going to be 100% clean energy, or it might already be 100% clean energy. Uh, it's nice. totally, completely possible to do. And we, we just have to make the choice to do it. And I'm, I'm glad we can. Sorry, soapbox. <laughs> I'll get off the soapbox. No, no, and, you're, and the cool thing with this is that during the Q&A, some people did bring up the current administration and everything else, and to the you – know, there was some laughter, you know, across the thing, because obviously Sundance is a bit more liberal than, a like, bit. maybe your – A you bit. Know, <laughs> your Oz, Republican Ozark yep. Film Festival. Uh, but to the, the credit of the people behind it there just said, you know, they said, hey, look, you know, this – this issue isn't about an administration. It's not about politics. It's about humankind. And uh, so our, you know, we do have plans on how to reach out to people who maybe have differing views than us and you know, make them see the truth of how, you know, what's actually happening. But you know, we're not going to sit here and say, oh, well, let's go bash on the Trump administration because he doesn't believe in global warming. It's like, no, we, we have the facts here. Let's, let's get people, more people on our side to get to the point where you have to listen um, and what's really cool too, they actually have a bus they're driving around that's painted to look like a reef, and they're taking the school bus to you know public, public schools, letting kids play around with uh, smartphones that have like the virtual dives on them, so they can get involved. Like I mentioned before, um, if you want to get involved, if you go to their website is just chasingcoral.com. Um, you go to the very bottom, and they've got obviously they're busy right now with Sundance, but they've got links to uh, if you want to host a screening. Like, they will uh, work with you to work with your local theaters to put a screening up so people can come see it for free. Uh, if you want to donate to them, you can do that as well. And then also, uh, just different, obviously, their, their social medias and stuff to to uh, take a look at. Um, or you can email them, uh, impact at chasingcoral.com, if you have other ideas. If you think, hey, let's try this, maybe this will work. It was a very, again, I said it was hopeful then because they're like, hey, we can do this. There are things we can do that will save this. And keep the damage from being as bad as it possibly can be, but we got to start now, uh, and we want ideas of how to do that. So, uh, no, a fantastic movie, uh, nine point five out of ten. It's wow. I, I like documentaries, but this is definitely one of the best of. Wow, seen. that so. is that is high praise. Nine and a half. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you are lucky that you get to continue so. to go see more Sundance movies this week. 
yeah, I got a, I got a couple more coming up. I mean, unfortunately, I, I well, fortunately, I've been able to take some time off work, but uh, that ends in a couple days, so I will be limited to seeing stuff in the evenings. But uh, there's a good other probably ten or fifteen more I'll be able to see. So we'll be talking about those next week, and that's actually what I'm going to be doing all week. I won't have any screens to go to aside from these ones. So Andy, it's all on you next week for uh, current movies. What are you going to see? So this week we have Matthew McConaughey as a Wall Street executive type who is out looking for gold in the jungle in the oh-so-creatively titled Gold. There's gold in them, our jungles. <laughs> and he's going to find it and bring it back to America because America... You can tell I'm excited for this movie. Uh, And then the very controversial, suddenly, A Dog's Purpose, uh, which uh, I I think if you were to make a Venn diagram of people who would want to go see a movie about how important dogs are in our lives, and then another circle of people who will boycott a movie when they find out that dogs were mistreated on set... Yeah, that would be two concentric circles with 100% overlap. So um, this movie, I think, might be in trouble. And normally I'm like, oh, people are going to boycott a movie. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. nothing's going to happen with that. This I'm like, um, uh, I'm sorry, Universal, bad news. Um, But that's why you don't mistreat animals on set. Jeez, people. Come on, yeah, but I, I I will tell you how all of those are, but um, I'm betting with January as your normal dumping grounds, as you said, uh, you're going to have a better week at Sundance than I am with uh, with those two major releases. Yeah, well, hopefully, because like I said, it's in, you know, there's, there's been a couple things I saw that were just okay, but nothing bad, nothing nearly close to the greasy strangler level of last year, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, cool. Well, um, you'll be seeing those. I'll have some more Sundance updates, and we'll be talking to you next week. But until then, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Punk ass tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he's gonna 